Welcome to Tricks of the Trade, a dedicated podcast focusing on global trade finance news and current affairs. Resident experts David Morris and Mike Backhouse take you through the challenging environment of international trade. Hello, today we're with uh, David Morris, who's a Relations Director at the London Institute of Banking and Finance. We're just going to have a, a chat today uh, with, with David. David, you've recently uh, just been to the US to attend the uh, American Bankers Association Financial Crimes and Enforcement Conference. I think it was the first time the Institute has attended the conference. I'd be interested to know uh, uh, what you felt of the conference and what were the key themes of the conference. Uh, I think it was uh, three or four days of, of discussion and, and debate uh, with regard to financial crime. So I'd be interested to get your, your thoughts on that. Uh, yes, thanks, Mike. Overall, it was uh, a really good few days. I mean, it's uh, very, very focused. A lot of professional people giving their time and expertise and sharing it around to those in this rather odd industry of uh, fighting financial crime and not just putting up the barriers but actually doing some serious digging to establish ways of, uh, I guess, preventing the things happening in the first place. And it wasn't just uh, talking about anti-money laundering and the things that we're used to uh, in the finance industry. It's actually going past that to say, yes, I know about the financial bit, but what are the consequences in terms of actual distribution of goods, of not doing things, not doing things properly? And, and things like dual risk goods, for instance, I'm sure you uh, came up in conversation and were obviously a part of presentations which were, were mentioned, uh, which were, were part of the, uh, the conference. Did it come out in terms of what were we talking about when we talk about dual risk use goods? What are we, what are we really talking about here? It's a really good point, and it's um, very easy for some things to actually identify them, I guess. If you're talking about a helicopter, well, could that be used for military purposes uh, or domestic purposes? But actually, in, in, in real terms, the things that people are really interested in, um, uh, more specific military, civilian use. A couple of things that were highlighted during the course of uh, one of the sessions uh, that I sat in on, and this is the trade-based money laundering concerns session that was actually so well attended, an hour and a half session, it was run twice on the first day. There were that many people interested. Mm. But the particular things that we're talking about, and I've got a couple of things in mind, um, pressure transducers and triggered spark gaps. Now, I'm sure you'll know instantly what those are, Mike, and why you should be concerned about them. Of course, yes. That's one of my next questions, of course. (laughs) Um, But the short version is these uh, particular bits of kit that can have lots of ordinary industrial uses, wide-range uses in in industry, for example, in power generation, medical equipment, high-speed flash photography, uh, would you believe. But they are key component parts in uh, nuclear proliferation. If you want to enrich uh, uranium, you can't do it unless you've got a pressure transducer, for example. And you can't see it here, obviously, because it's sound rather than visual. But uh, one of the things that was highlighted on the screen was um, ahead of uh, one of the uh, states allegedly developing nuclear power and circled in front of uh, a piece of equipment that he's looking at with everybody around him wearing a white suit is a pressure transducer. And the company that produces these was able to actually identify what it was and therefore investigate how on earth something produced in the United States could find its way to 
a country that was uh, allegedly developing its own nuclear weapon and actually trying to track it through the stage. So it's not just about the money laundering side, but about the physical goods themselves, how they get out there, and of course, how they're paid for. Okay, that's, that's excellent. And, and, and interesting enough, I think you sort of, sort of made mention of it uh, uh, just then. Um, in terms of sort of high-risk jurisdictions, do, do these particular jurisdictions receive sort of special treatment? Yes, they yeah. do. Um, it's, without using these words, absolutely, Mike, it's a risk-based approach. Uh, the investigators, uh, regulators, whatever, will look at various jurisdictions around the world and uh, from, uh, from information that they'll gather and maybe court cases, um, exposés, uh, press news or whatever, really put them on alert as to which particular areas might be, uh, might be worth investigating further. Now, I've mentioned um, um, the specific high-risk jurisdictions, but of course it's not just those. It's other countries that border those jurisdictions uh, where there may well be criminal activity uh, that uh, is being used to smuggle goods, uh, smuggle funds out under the guise of legitimate transactions. So as I say, it's not just the jurisdictions, but it's the physical location of those jurisdictions, which is perhaps the next stage in the, uh, in the process, really getting under the, under the skin of that process and, and uh, trying to understand it. And if my understanding is correct, one of, one of the major issues which uh, banks uh, and uh, governments have in trying to monitor and control this whole sort of area of uh, financial crime is that many of the transactions are undertaken uh, through open account, which obviously makes it much more difficult to, to monitor and control. Was this something which came out significantly uh, during, the, during the conference? Yes, it was. I mean, there's some figures being banded around. Um, something like uh, 10 million, t- sorry, 10 trillion, I should say, dollars of uh, uh, trade internationally each year. And I think that's probably on the low side. I've heard a different figure of more like 18 trillion. And uh, of course, you don't need much of that uh, to be uh, involved in money laundering or illicit trade uh, to make it worthwhile. In terms of uh, trade-based anti-money laundering, there has been a lot of focus on, for want of a better phrase, uh, traditional trade finance products, such as letters of credit and collections and so on. Mm-hmm. But of course, uh, these days, and certainly most of the uh, developed parts of the world, most trade is undertaken on open account terms. And you're absolutely right. Inevitably, just on an odds basis, the vast majority of that uh, illicit trade will go through open account, not least of all because... Uh, the various parties don't have to show uh, the underlying documents. There are less things will create alerts in a bank's back office. And it is a concern. Again, just a figure that was pulled out in, in uh, the presentation I've just mentioned. Um, there, are, there is something like $64 billion worth of drug sales in the US uh, moved via trade-based uh, money laundering. So again, you think of the illicit drugs trade the transition of moving funds from supply country to buy country, that has to work somewhere. In all probability, it's going to be through open account yeah. uh, methods, clean payments. I, I can imagine, uh, you know, with all the, the various presentations which which have uh, which took place during the during the few days you were there, um, both 
through the presentations and actually through 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 uh, discussions, I suppose after in the breakout sessions, there was lots of uh, discussions about sort of how the banks and institutions are trying to combat this whole area of financial crime. Um, was this a sort of a, a big area of, of discussion debate during during the conference? Oh, absolutely, and and there were several uh, methodologies uh, put forward during the uh, two or three days um, of the main conference and. Uh, as you suggested, you know, various uh, various uh, sub-meetings outside of those. Um, at one end, you've got the technology-assisted methods. You have screening systems mm-hmm. that will look for odd activity in terms of, again, the obvious ones, sanctions violations, but also unusual activity across uh, business accounts where perhaps there's a sudden spike in activity which hasn't been seen before. But one of the obvious ones is developing the knowledge of individuals in terms of what they have to look for. And that's um, inevitably on-the-job training, Mm -hmm. bringing different people with different expertise together so they can uh, share experiences. Actual presentations, bringing in specialists to uh, talk to individuals Mm -hmm. face-to-face. And, of course, introducing the concept of uh, professional qualifications in, in this particular field. Uh, we were there as the London yep. Institute of Banking and Finance primarily to uh, talk about the uh, Certificate in Trade Finance Compliance, which we launched only in September. Mm. And uh, this is a dedicated qualification absolutely focusing on trade finance compliance. Uh, what sort of response did you get uh, from, from the sort of delegates who, who were there? Um, uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, there, there were many, many delegates there. I'd be interested to get your thoughts as to whether there was real interest in, in, in the, sort of, uh, the, the sort of education, the qualification, and in particular, obviously, the, uh, the, the recent launch of our uh, Certificate of International Trade, uh, trade uh, Compliance. We're saying the presentations themselves, a lot of em- uh, uh, emphasis on screening, a um, lot of emphasis on training. Um, also, actually, just out of, uh, just out of interest, um, one bank announced that they were doing uh, proactive investigations. In other mm-hmm. words, not waiting for red flags to be generated, but actually going out there and uh, looking for reports in, uh, in the press or other media, looking at court judgments and so on, and then working backwards to see if any of their customers were involved. Um, but training and qualifications, uh, as we said, right up there. Did I speak to all of the thousand people that were at the conference? <laughs> Not quite. But we did have a lot of conver- conversations with people stopping by our stand that we had there. A lot of real interest in what we were trying to achieve. Everybody understood what the issue was. And it was really helpful uh, to have one of the authors present also on the stand. And this was uh, someone from the uh, Institute for International Banking Law and Practice, actually based in Maryland in the US, uh, that co-wrote uh, the text. And as I say, a fantastic amount of interest in the fact that people could not just uh, uh, learn in detail, in significant depth about this particular subject, but the end of it could get themselves professionally qualified, mm. could walk away with uh, uh, the certificate itself, and have the designation uh, CTSC after their name. And uh, this was from a range of, of uh, organisations, not just banks, but actually some of the regulators and bank examiners were actually genuinely interested in what we were trying to do. Now, they obviously couldn't promote what we were doing or potentially subscribe to it by the nature of their work, 
but actually genuinely interested that we were putting something different forward that could appeal to people in the industry. I mean, this is such an important part of the work being undertaken by the financial community at the moment. And uh, clearly this... uh, these uh, uh, four four days, I think it was uh, in in Maryland, were uh, indicates the sort of the growing importance of, of this particular area, and um, uh, it sounds like a fascinating and interesting uh, few days, and uh, certainly worthwhile in terms of uh, the, the detail and knowledge uh, and understanding what's happening in in uh, in the financial community in terms of trying to combat financial crime. Well, that's right, Mike. Uh, We touched on it earlier, but one of the things that I've always loved about international trade is that you're dealing with the real economy and that uh, things are made and putting containers and put on ships and taken around the world and delivered to an end buyer and maybe sold on to somebody else, which is uh, the real economy. On this particular session, over several days, as you say, we also learnt about the real black economy it's not just about the money laundering part, it's the fact there are uh, physical goods at the end of it, things that uh, concern states and banks and potentially all of us. And I touched on uh, the uh, proliferation of specific bits of equipment to use in the uh, enriched uranium industry mm-hmm. uh, for uh, nuclear weapons. But in a separate presentation, somebody else also touched on the fact that parts uh, manufactured by other US uh, uh, companies, highly respected companies, had found their way into uh, improvised explosive devices that have had such devastating effect uh, on US troops and uh, UK troops, for that matter, mm. um, in, uh, in different parts of the world, high level, low level. And uh, so I say it's not, just, it's not just a financial world, it's that physical world as well that suddenly people are reaching into and really put some, really putting some flesh on it. This is why it's important. Mm. It's not just a theoretical risk of moving funds around. There are real consequences of not doing your job and actually not uh, investigating deeply and not reporting what you find to the uh, various regulators. Suspicious activity reports uh, came up so many times. It's not just finding it, it's making sure that you report it correctly. All of these things, by the way, quite rightly, uh, figure in the uh, CTFC qualification. David Morris, thank you very much for talking to us. Mike, thank you. Thank you for your time.